0: Let's pray. Lord, it is no small thing to dig deeper into your word. So I just ask that you would send your spirit to teach us what message you would have for us this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So we had a great Easter, and then Pastor Chris decided to take a vacation in Africa. So, well, no, we're glad he's there. Um, I'm sure he's enjoying much warmer weather than we are, even though yesterday felt like Florida. Um, But nonetheless, we're starting a new series today. We just had Easter, obviously. And now we're into this series called Surprised by Hope, which is digging deeper into what the resurrection means for our everyday living. As a result of the resurrection, how does it come into play in the everyday? day life. So we're going to be walking through this series, through chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be today talking about the foundation of our faith, the question of belief. As a reminder, as we begin to dive into 1 Corinthians, Corinth is a place that's a metropolitan area, and we know Paul, we assume Paul is writing to primarily Gentile Christians, that is, Christians who are the first in their family to follow the God of the Bible. So they're still more familiar with their pagan practices. They're not unfamiliar with religion, but nonetheless, they are more familiar with other gods. And so they're still trying to shake off some of these pagan practices from their past. And in these opening verses of chapter 15, Paul walks us into the question of belief. And beliefs are really interesting things because let's say I had a pill that I said would increase your mental capacity, would give you more energy, and put you in a good mood. And if I got all of you in the room to take it, many of you would report an effect even if it was just a sugar pill. Our beliefs, even if they aren't based on the truth, sometimes seem to have positive effects. So wives, have I got the pitch for you. I want to introduce you to the Honeydew Energy Drink. So are you tired of your man not getting his to-do list done when he comes home? I'm not selling a drink, I'm just selling a label. Take the label today, see me after service, five bucks a pop, slap it on a drink of your choice, eggnog, aloe vera water, whatever you want, and be amazed, see what he does. Sometimes when we believe in something that's not true, it has positive effects. And sometimes we even lie to other people for their good. Right, We lie to people for surprise parties. I remember as a kid, my dad told me, he once told me my favorite movie, The Aristocats, was broken because he didn't want to watch it anymore with me. (laughs) And in the same vein, we lie to our dogs and tell them that their favorite toy is gone because we're tired of hearing it squeaking. It's gone. It's gone. And one of our fellow brothers in the faith, John Chrysostom, a man from the 4th century, once lied to one of his friends to trick him into taking a certain pastoral position because he believed it was in the best interest of the kingdom and in his friend's best interest. And so in this vein, he believed that this is not deceit. This is holy cleverness. Okay? Okay? I mean, think about it. There are times where the ethical dilemma is harder. Like, if someone asked you to disclose a location of somebody so they could go and murder them, you're conflicted. You don't want to lie, but if you do lie, you're probably going to save them, right? So I'm not going to get deep into that. But I do just want to point out that sometimes beliefs that aren't based on the truth seem to have positive effects. So how much do beliefs, and right beliefs for that matter, really matter? That is the question that Paul is dealing with. The Corinthians have an incorrect belief about the fact that they will be resurrected one day, like Jesus Christ mirroring his own resurrection. And so this is a big enough issue for Paul that he feels the need to write an excurses on it. And so that brings up the question, how much do beliefs really matter? So what, Paul, if they get one belief wrong? I mean, we can't get it all right. I'm sure we're going to get to heaven and think to ourselves, man, that was a really dumb belief we used to add. We were so wrong, Right? Even the best theologians say, if you at some point think you have all, it all figured out about God, then you have a picture of God that's too small. So really, we're doing ourselves a service. It's the right thing to do to humble ourselves and say we can't believe all the right things. Only God has all of the truth available. But at the same time, then why is Paul so concerned with this? Why is it such a big deal? Could it be that we really do need the right combination of beliefs to get into heaven? That maybe there's some kind of quiz we're going to have to take, and if we don't get an answer right, a big buzzer is going to go off, and we're going to fall through a trap door into flames. Why is Paul so concerned about this? But at that same vein, what did we do with all these different denominations? Are we really going to say that some have the right answer and some don't when they all confess Jesus Christ as Lord? It doesn't seem like the heart of God. So some beliefs seem to matter sometimes and not at others. I mean, even think about the fact that people who claim to worship Jesus Christ, but the Jesus that they worship doesn't Seem to look like the Jesus the rest of us worship. What do we do with Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses? Beliefs seem to matter sometimes and not at others. And so, as we walk into the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reveals that he's teaching them once again something that he is already. Tried to drill into their brains. Paul is not the only one who's had to deal with this issue. Paul had to, sorry, God had to tell Israel time and time again what they needed to do. It wasn't getting into their heads. And it lives on today in the curses between wives and husbands. Ladies, can I get a witness how many times you have to tell your man something before it sinks in? I'm confessing, okay? I'm not innocent. He's telling them something once again that they have already learned. It's then important to know that Paul says he's passing on what's most important. That is to say, there are things that are less important. He gave them the meat and potatoes, but he didn't give them dessert that day. He gave them the most important beliefs. And what he shares, he then outlines once again. It's really quite simple. Jesus died for our sins, like the scriptures predicted. He was buried because he was actually dead. They checked him for life. There was none there. They buried him. He rose again on the third day. He was seen, and the news was shared. So essentially, Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was seen, and Jesus was shared. Lived, died, buried, rose again. Seen, shared. Pretty simple, right? Straightforward, to the point. So what's the big deal? What what did they get wrong? What's the issue? And for that, we have to dip into the verses that go a little later, into the passage from next week. So 12 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead... Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. The Corinthians didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so by association, they were not believing in the resurrection of Christ. Because for Paul, these beliefs are intimately intertwined. If you're going to say there is no resurrection of the dead, then there's no purpose for Christ to raise from the grave. Because that's the whole reason he did it in the first place. They're rejecting a key part. But still, I ask myself the question why is Paul so concerned with it? They still worship Jesus Christ. They got one thing wrong. We can't all be Paul. You know, we can't all get it all right. What is the issue that Paul really has? A gardener goes outside to get his garden ready for harvest and he pours motor oil on it. A husband wipes. Some crumbs off onto the floor because he believes his wife won't notice. You rest your eyes for a little bit during the sermon because he didn't think the preacher was watching. Sometimes, when you have beliefs that aren't the best, you end up in places you never wanted to go. That is the issue that Paul has. And this isn't the only spot where he's correcting their incorrect belief, that we're leading them to incorrect practices. There's 14 chapters before this. Paul says first, he, he opens the letter with the issue of the fact that the Corinthians are arguing over who the best teacher is. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. They believed they needed to pick a right teacher, just like they did in Greek philosophy. I, I follow Aristotle. I follow Plato. I follow Joe Rogan. I follow The View. Whatever you pick, right? They were putting their faith in a teacher rather than Christ. And so as a result, they formed division rather than unity. And then Paul moves on to the question of sexual immorality. There's someone in the church who's sleeping with his father's wife. And this isn't the only example. They're enjoying sexual immorality. Remember, this is the basis of the religions that they came out of. Sex was connected to worship. And so it's hard to shake off, especially when your brothers and sisters in Christ or your friends and your family are still engaging in these things. It seems that they didn't believe that the body mattered all that much. What I do in my body doesn't affect the Lord. But Paul says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so glorify your God with your body. But it doesn't stop there. He finds out that there are people in the Corinthian church who are suing one another, taking their brothers in church to court in the world because they believed that the world's court could judge better than the author of truth's court. And then the question of offering food to idols comes up. Can we eat this food if it's offered to another god? He reveals, yes, you can. There is only one true god, but just having the knowledge doesn't mean that you should make your other brothers and sisters look bad. You forgot that love precedes knowledge, that love precedes your own selfish desire. And he illustrates that in the same way when he's talking about spiritual gifts. They're all excited about having these cool supernatural gifts, you know, probably related to the fact of the religions they came from. They probably had went to an oracle of another religion or had heard a vision from someone in another religion. So when they heard that Christianity had that, they're like, well, I want to do that. I want to get some of that. And Paul says, yeah, there are some gifts that are more desirable than others. But if you don't have love, you've got nothing. They believed that having the best supernatural ability was better than them loving one another. Their unrighteous actions were rooted in inaccurate beliefs inaccurate beliefs that they had gained from the world. And because of what they believed, they lived lives that were less than ideal. And I imagine some of them would find themselves saying, well, I don't actually believe that, Paul. I already know that. But their actions were saying a different story. Sometimes we say, well, I don't actually believe that, but you're doing something that doesn't match up with what you say. We like to think that we have these separate chambers of beliefs and actions, but I'll tell you this morning: beliefs and actions go hand in hand. Beliefs and actions go hand in hand. Paul's not only concerned about their beliefs or only their actions, but together, because beliefs and actions go hand in. In hand. So I want to talk you through a few few principles about belief and action. First, action without belief is mindless. Action without belief is mindless. What do I mean? You ever find yourself doing something, you don't really know why you're doing it? I guess the prime example is when you're tired, you know, you get slap happy. I don't know what's going on. Right? You can do things that are Good when you're not really thinking about it, but what if you tried to go through your whole life that way? Without purpose? Would you want to live a life like that? No. Action without belief is mindless. And on the other hand, belief without action is inauthentic. Belief without action is inauthentic. Because there's something in us that wants someone to tell us what they believe and then match up to that. It's not even just in the church, right? People in the world don't like this. They want people of integrity. They want people who say what they say and do what they say. They want the things to match up. Belief without action is inauthentic. When you say you believe something but you do nothing about it, or worse, you do something opposite to that and you're a hypocrite, people don't like that. Something doesn't resonate within us with that belief without action is inauthentic and that's because our beliefs are only beneficial when they align with reality you can only make the best actions when you have the best understanding of the world when you have the best beliefs about the world when you have the best handle on the truth beliefs are only beneficial When they align with reality. And that's why we can say that accurate beliefs lead to wise actions. Accurate beliefs lead to wise actions. So when I say wise, I mean that which is good. I mean that which is how God created the world to be. Going beyond just living a life where you say you have beliefs and you do what those beliefs ask for, but having the right beliefs. If I say, I believe I can fly, and I jump out of a plane with no parachute, I'm not going to be on the front of the Chronicle Tribune for my amazing ability, but I will be for something else. (laughs) Right? At least I'm authentic, but my beliefs aren't matching with the best version of reality, how reality actually is. Accurate beliefs tend to lead to wise actions. It's not 100% the case for the person that's going to argue against me. Just think about when you bring a guest over to your house, right? You've got the board game lined up that you know you're just going to smash them, right? And then they win. It's the first time they ever played it. They didn't even know all the rules, the cool tricks that you knew, and somehow they got it. So frustrating, right? So accurate beliefs tend to lead to wise actions. And on the flip side, inaccurate beliefs lead to unwise actions, right? So this is where we find the Corinthians. They have so many incorrect beliefs that were leading them to incorrect actions they put their allegiance in human leadership rather than divine leadership so they formed divisions rather than unity they believed that their bodies didn't matter or that the sins of sexual nature didn't matter and so they defiled the temple of the holy spirit they believed that the world's court system had everything figured out so they took their disputes among god's people to the world they believed that their knowledge of god's ways gave them license to be unloving so they caused them to stumble They thought their most important endeavor was to receive the greatest spiritual ability. So love was pushed aside as an afterthought when love precedes all else. When we have inaccurate beliefs, we make decisions, we take actions that are not compliant with how God designed the world to work. But again, there are beliefs that are more important than others. In every family, there's someone who shares too much detail in sharing a story, and there's always a person who doesn't share enough detail. Aunt Patty, we don't need to know what the color of the pillows on the couch were that day or how long Uncle Todd's nose hairs were that day. Get to the point. And on the flip side, you've got Joey. Joey's trying to tell the story, but then someone's always interrupting him because he's forgetting a key part. Joey, you got to tell him about the part in the McDonald's parking lot. Otherwise, the rest of it won't make sense. There are parts that are essential. There are parts that make the story better but aren't necessarily needed. But if you take out a key part, even though the rest of the key parts are right, the rest of the story collapses. most important. Paul says it is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place. Paul knew if they didn't get the story right they wouldn't get their story right. If they didn't get the story right they wouldn't get their story right. Because knowing the gospel is not merely about having some special knowledge that other people don't have or having the right answers so that you can pass the quiz when you get to heaven. It's about God giving you the story so he can transform your story. It's for the purpose of life transformation. Beliefs and actions go hand and hand and it's right there all you truly need is what paul outlines jesus lived jesus died jesus was buried jesus was raised from the dead jesus was seen and jesus was shared but does your life say that you believe that because you might pass the test You might know the answers on the quiz, but do your actions prove your beliefs? Are you living an authentic Christian walk? Are you living according to the most important beliefs? So, I want to give you some advice, if that's all right. First, lesson number one, you got to learn the faith. Learn the faith. Paul is offering an early outline of Christian belief. You could say this is an early creed, preceded the Apostles' Creed, that we took part in reciting today. Okay, Around 200 A.D., words similar to those found in the Apostles' Creed were being used to teach people who were going to be baptized the faith, eventually evolved into what we now know, As the Apostles' Creed. And across denominational lines, as my wife pointed out earlier, these are the bare-bones beliefs that Christians believe. Get away from all the fluff. Get down to the nitty-gritty. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, this is what you believe. The bare-bones beliefs. The essentials. What's most important. But if you don't know it then you can't live it. So lean into it. You can't just think to yourself, oh, well, the Lord loves me, I'm good. You know, that is true. But if you're not doing yourself any favors by living in willful ignorance, learn the faith so you can live the faith better, which takes me to number two, live the faith. You can only learn so much if it never plays out into the everyday. If you learn the truth, but you never apply it to your life, you're never going to receive any of the benefits. You've got to live the faith. The Corinthians believed that there was no resurrection of the dead. So they said, eat, drink, tomorrow we die. Enjoy life while it lasts. That's not the reality. Live in the truth. Live the faith. When you learn the truth, live according to it. And your life will be found in wisdom. Live the faith. And then finally, focus on what's most important. Focus on what's most important. Because (laughs) I am a Wesleyan. I'm going to teach you Wesleyan theology, I'm going to talk about Wesleyan polity. But if you ever leave this church and you can tell me who John Wesley is and what entire sanctification is, but you can't walk me through the Apostles' Creed, then I failed you. Because I need to be more concerned. I feel this conviction from the Lord. I need to be more concerned about making good Christians before I'm concerned about making good Wesleyans. That's what we're concerned about here. So, all that being said, this is my challenge to you. Okay, you're going to have an opportunity to sign up for something on your way out. We have made a curriculum that walks you through the Apostles' Creed. The most essential beliefs so that you can live the faith to the fullest it's not just about getting the answers right you'll be surprised walking through the creed in the videos i didn't know that that applied to this area in life i didn't never thought about how this could play out in the everyday you've got to learn the faith and live it and if you're thinking to yourself well i already know it all eh, do you There was all kinds of stuff I didn't even know until I was sitting in a theology class at Indiana Wesleyan University. I was like, why didn't no one in church teach me this? I'm not even talking about the really advanced stuff. I'm just talking about the basics. I'm like, where was that? We want to gift that to you, but we can't gift it to you unless you desire to do it. So this summer, June 12th, we'll be starting a summer small group series. It's only four weeks that you would have to commit to. And um, June 12th, and then the, the three weeks that are after that week as well. Um, and two, if summer doesn't work for you, we're going to keep running it. Keep running it. It's going to happen in the fall, and then it's going to happen in the spring. And it's going to happen in summer. Are you getting it? It's going to keep happening. It's going to keep being made available because we believe that these are the essential beliefs that we have to keep teaching people who are walking through these doors so they can live the faith to the fullest. So my challenge to you would be to sign up for that on your way out. You're not committing to it. This is simply an interest form because of how early it is. There's QR codes by the pillars in the back, or you can use the kiosks as well. But now, I want to invite you to the table. Today is a communion Sunday, and if you're online, be sure to get your elements ready at this time. And this is a prime example of knowing right beliefs, so that you can make right actions. Because I would guess that many of you have been taught that communion is meant to remember Christ's sacrifice. You're right. But did you also know that early Christians came to the table with celebration, with thanksgiving? It wasn't always a somber Remembrance because they looked back on what Christ did, but they also remembered that Christ was coming back again. They looked back at what he had done, but also looked forward to what he was going to do. The French say at communion to the king until he comes. So we look back to his sacrifice. We look forward to what he's going to do because he said he's not going to eat and drink of this meal until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. We'll eat it together with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But also in the present. It reminds us that we need to continually feed on Christ. Feed on him in prayer. Feed on him through his Word, feed on him, asking him for strength, because if we don't feed on him, we're going to be spiritually weak. So we look back to what he's done, and in the present, we remind ourselves that we need to continually feed on him, and we look forward to his glorious return to the king until he comes. So we're going to be doing communion a little bit different than we have normally. You'll notice we have the stations up in front, we'll be taking it by intinction, uh, which is a fancy word for dipping, okay? So you're going to take the bread, dip it into the cup. Now, I want to give you some instruction to where your directions are. If you're on this side of the room, you're going to exit toward that wall. If you're on this half of the room, you're going to exit toward that wall. So you're just going to the closest exterior wall to you, okay? And then, once you're out, this, these middle sections... We're going to go to these two tables in the middle. Two sections on the sides we will go to the furthest tables outside. And then you'll circle back into your pew on the other end. Does that make sense? Okay, great. So stewards, you can take your place. And ushers, you can take your place. Let's pray to consecrate these elements to remember what Christ has done, to remember that we need to feed on him in the present and look forward him coming again. Let's pray.